Hey friends, it's Emily. I just wanted to give a quick content note off the top about the episode. At about the 36 to 40 minute mark, we took a couple minutes to talk about the cultural idea of homosexuality as perceived through the eyes of the Jewish people. So we go into some of the abuse and unfortunately underage abuse that was occurring during those times as a cultural relevance to why the Jewish people viewed homosexuality in a bad light. Obviously, this can be triggering for some people, so just skip like 36 minutes to about 40 minutes and you'll skip all of that. And I'm really sorry, I don't know where to put my mic, so I apologize. It's gonna sound a little bit muffled for me. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the episode. Two, two queers walk into, into a, a church. church. And today we're going to talk about the lesbian vibes <laughs> or bisexual vibes, depending on your interpretation of Ruth and Naomi from the Bible. I am so excited to talk about this because yes. I have been reading about this for like years and years and years. And we're finally going to go over this gay shit. Hell yeah. I'm excited about it as well. I think off the top we should address what's going on in the world and offer our support. So unless you don't live in the U.S., even though I think that even if you aren't in the U.S., you probably heard about it. There's been a lot of protests going around about George Floyd, a man who was killed by a cop in Minnesota. It's very tragic and it comes like super close after Ahmaud Arbery. Yes. There's been a lot of protests going around in the U.S. and it's incredibly sad to see the police violence that has been triggered by these, for the most part, peaceful protests. And so as a podcast, we want to make sure that our listeners know that we are Black Lives Matter advocates and both of us have donated to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. If you look it up on just on your web browser, there's a PayPal link to donate to the people who are fighting for that, and that also goes to pay for bail for those who've been who've been taken to jail because of the fact that they were protesting. So if you feel so inclined, donate to that. We both donated like 20 bucks. You don't have to donate a ton. I know a lot of other celebrities are donating a whole bunch of money, and then a lot of our mutual friends have been donating money. So. We stand with black people of color, and we're extremely saddened by what's been happening recently. So as much as we can use our white privilege to help with the fight, we are going to as well. Word. Also say there are a lot of other great organizations you can donate to if you, you know, decide that that's something you want to do. Minnesota Freedom Fund does a lot of really great things. I did learn after I donated that they're white-owned, so there are some, like, Mm, black-owned organizations that... People can donate to if that makes you feel more comfortable and like your your dollars are going more towards the cause. Minnesota Freedom Fund does still do really great things. I'm not like disappointed that I 
that I donated to them. However, there are some like black owned organizations that if you wanted to prioritize those folks, we could post those on our Instagram or something and our Facebook page. Cause I think I posted some of them on my Facebook page. For sure. So that's something we could, something you could do as well. And if you're in a position to go protest, you should do it. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important right now. My partner and I did a lot of back and forth about whether or not we were going to go protest um, because I'm immunocompromised. And so there was a little bit of fear with mass gatherings, but it seems that most protests, at least during the day, have been pretty good about social distancing and wearing masks and things of that sort. So if you do want to go protest, there are tons of them going on. I'm going to continue to share those specifically in the mm-hmm. Detroit area, the ones that were are the ones that we would be able to go to. So we'll keep yeah. sharing those and Yeah, for sure. Also, there have been protests going on in Detroit. So I'm not sure how much access you would have to into the internet if you were arrested during the protest but if you know somebody who's been arrested during the detroit prep protest you can contact the bail project detroit and they bail people out for five thousand dollars or less and i can link their email and their numbers for that i just recently posted it on my personal story on instagram but there is that as well and also the national lawyers guild is helping with detroit protests for people who have been arrested because of the Detroit protests as well. I think it's really important to note too that, you know, since we have a platform where we can talk to people and even if you, you you don't have to like have a podcast (laughs) to talk about this. Yeah. Um, You can share on your Facebook page. You can talk to your friends and family. You can tweet about it. Any kind of education is important, but I will say, and I've had this conversation with countless, countless white people over the past couple days. White people, you don't get to decide whether or not you think looting is right or wrong. Correct. You don't get to decide what and how black folks get to feel and what they get to do with their outrage because none of us could ever even imagine what that experience is like. Correct. I saw a really good post. It was posted by a white woman. She posted about you know how so many white folks have been outraged by looting and how they're saying it doesn't make any sense and all of those things and she was like you know if someone brutally murdered my son i would want to burn everything down too and i was like that's such a good point like i can't even imagine you know my niece and nephew are both black and they're children right now so i i don't i don't feel super afraid for them yet but i know that fear will grow as they get older. And yeah. I think about how if, you know, if something ever happened to them because of the the racist world that we live in, not only how outraged I would be, but how I would want to destroy everything. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was very poignant that everybody, conservatives or just people who are unaware of any sort of plight of, the, of, of black people that... They were all like, oh, fucking Target. Like, why would you have to fucking, like, get rid of, like, why would you have to damage a piece of our community, Target, because you're angry about some guy getting killed? Well, number one, Target isn't a part of the community. It's not locally owned. It's a corporation. And it's a corporation with insurance, too. They'll get over yeah. it. Yeah. 
And said corporation sent out an email to all of its staff and to people who frequently shop at Target and said that they stood with the people who were rioting and they understood that the community is in a lot of pain and that they were going to rebuild and they were also going to keep people on full pay with their benefits through them rebuilding the specific target or any other target that happens to sustain damage. And they're like, it's okay. Like, our community is hurting. We have insurance. It's fine. We're not mad. We understand that things happen, that people are angry. So it's like, if a multi-million dollar corporation, probably more, I don't know, can say, don't worry about it. We understand that black people are hurting. You came to and you don't even own any sort of stock in Target. Like, Mm -hmm. calm down. Yep. And, and that was, you know, another argument that keeps happening is that, you know, the, that looting is damaging communities and that people don't understand how you can damage a community in response to, you know, being angry about someone dying. And I, you know, I spent so much time like arguing back and forth with people and then I started just like posting um this tweet that i found and it's from the hampton institute and everybody it's it's pretty popular now everybody's been sharing it but it says you can't commodify every single aspect of living and then not understand looting as a legitimate form of protest looting is the ultimate strike against a system that deems mass-produced objects to be far more precious than human life itself it is humanity humanity demanding to be recognized and i was like there is no better way to explain why looting is so valid and why it why it's such a valid form of protest than that tweet right there so i've just been like posting it on everybody's shit because i'm like you know what instead of me trying to argue with you for hours and hours and hours i'm just gonna get straight to the point because someone already said it better than i did (laughs) yeah for sure So I guess we just wanted to speak on this for a moment, keep sharing, keep educating each other, keep protesting if you're able to, yeah, it's, shit sucks right now. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I can end that on a, on a positive note, unfortunately. No, unfortunately, and it's unfortunate that the person who killed him is only getting third degree and then slaughtered. Mm. Thankfully, well, I don't know if it's thankfully, but I know, so Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is from Minnesota, mm-hmm. so she's been really vocal about that. So I think the fact that she's very vocal as somebody who's in Congress, and then just other police chiefs. I've seen one woman police chief has condemned these actions, which I think is wonderful, not only being a woman, but also a white woman who's condemning awful acts of violence by police and she's actively searching out people within her force. I think she's in Georgia and is actively seeking out officers who have racist tendencies or have these types of views and is is taking care of this that situation and she's proactively trying to nip it in the bud, which I think is wonderful because I think that there unfortunately we can't change the past but we can be proactive about the future. And I think that if leaders within even police force start being proactive about getting people out that are just there because they think that this is a an easy way to be a bully to people of minorities and i think that that's that's the least that especially white people in charge can do 
I think a really great example of that was the Flint police force. I don't know if you saw coverage on Flint when Flint did their protest yesterday. The Flint police, when they were at the protest, which for those of you that don't know, Flint was at one point the murder capital of the United States. A few years ago, it was known as one of the most violent places in the country. And it's about an hour from where Em and I live right now. Maybe a little less than an hour, but roughly. And the Flint police and the sheriff were there. And in the middle of the protest, they said, you know, what do you want from us? We don't stand with police brutality. As police officers, we don't stand with police brutality. What do you want us to do? And the people that were leading the protest said, we want you to march with us. We want you as police officers to march with us against police brutality. And they did. There were police officers marching in this parade against police brutality. They were protecting the protesters from any anti-protesters. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, which was protecting people's freedoms to speak about the things that hurt them. They were protecting their freedom of speech. They were allowing them to protest without fighting back with riot gear and tear gas and all of that stupid shit. They did what police are actually supposed to do, which is protect our freedoms. Yeah. And it was just, I I don't want to like sit here and say like that I'm going to, I don't want to praise any police officers right now. That's certainly not something I want to make space for by any means, but that is what police are supposed to do yeah and so it was nice to see that it was nice to see that there was a protest where police officers walked side by side with people who were actively protesting police brutality the the narrative that police officers have to you know control this or control that is bullshit because there's proof that you don't have to do that there's proof that you don't have to show up in riot gear they put away their batons they took off their helmets everything they had to do to show that they were there for the people and not for the systems that they're actively working for. So that was, I liked seeing that a lot. Police that think they have a place in protests, that is your place. That is a perfect example. So do you have anything else you want to add? I know this is Um, important and we could talk about it all day. Yeah. No, I think that's been, that's basically all I wanted to say. I just wanted to make sure that people knew that people, that if you're listening to this podcast, we have Black Lives Matter. Whatever. I don't. How would you say that? We. Should, I mean, we. Be, we believe that. We Black believe Lives Black Lives Matter. Lives matter. We, <laughs> I was like, like, is there like, like a, a name movement for somebody? <laughs> is important? Fuck you if you don't. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. That's all I got. I. Uh, you know, I saw somebody post the other day that was like, if white people are afraid to like say Black Lives Matter or support the movement or share all these things, you know, like. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid you're going to lose followers? Are you afraid you're going to, you know, lose listeners on your podcast? Are you afraid of those things? Because if you are, number one, that's not being an ally. So, like, if people choose to stop listening to us or, like, following me on social media or any of those things, like, I'm going to sleep just fine. Truly. Social media is not a true view of the people who actually care about you anyways so like it's all fake anyways like we appreciate everyone that listens to us or likes your stuff on social medias but if you don't care about whether or not black lives matter fuck off (laughs) (laughs) to put it politely fuck you (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, let's get into this lesbian bisexual Let's get into this gay shit. All right, so I wanted to start with something that I'm interested to hear from you. When you were growing up, did you hear the story of Ruth and Naomi? I did, but not of Ruth and Naomi. It was just Ruth. It was just Ruth, right. Okay. Yeah. So nobody was like, everybody was like, oh, well, she was like, you know, old and stuff. And so it's really about, I don't know. Anyways, continue. So I guess, what was the story that you heard or what did you take away from what you learned when you were growing up? It was definitely like, would push, like, especially between Ruth and Naomi, it's like a mother-daughter type thing. Mm -hmm. The love between a mother and daughter keeping the faith even when things are hard like as far as like Naomi when she renamed herself Mara which Mara means bitter and like how chivalrous Boaz was or whatever the fuck I don't know those type of things it's really funny also too because when I heard about Ruth the pastor of my church did a a like whole sermon series on Ruth and it was like literally word for word what another pastor did <laughs> Like, literally all the same jokes, all the same lead-ups. It was, it was just very interesting. So it's like, I feel like, especially when men talk about Ruth, it's kind of like a recycled story because they're not actual women and they can't ever possibly think about the fact that, like, women were, like, they can't relate with a woman who was just promised to some other man. Right. Like, oh, what a wonderful, like, submissive woman. Right. <laughs> you know? I was trying to figure out, uh how old Naomi was. Well, she had two adult sons. She did. Well, also adult, though. You have to think about, like, the context of, like, what biblical scholars thought adults were. Right. Correct. Yes. You know, so, like, for all we know, she could be 30. (laughs) Do you know, this is very interesting. I was reading a lot about how old Ruth was, like, according to scholars. How old do you think Ruth was, just based on what you were told as a child? I mean, based on what I was told as a child and, like, based on, like, my modern idea of what, of what, like, an adult woman was, I was like, oh, she's probably, like, in her 20s. But, like, now that I just made that comment, she's probably, like, 15 or 16. Because that's, like, how old Mary was when she got betrothed to Joseph. Right. So it says that Ruth was, where did it just go? I just had it. So she was approximately 24. Oh. An old hag, basically. Which at that time was old, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah old and haggard. All of her young years have been used up. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, let's so then, so then what does that put Naomi at then? Did they, did whatever you were 40? say. 40? Okay, so like, that's what I thought. Okay, it so says about right. 40-ish. okay. Okay, okay, okay. Which is just so interesting. Well, we can dig into that later. But when I was growing up, I had a very different interpretation of this. My interpretation of this was that Ruth was probably about 40. And Naomi was much older. Like in her 60s, maybe? Yeah, okay, so I... I also thought that Ruth was going to be, like, super old. I don't know. Because, like, like if you're a Christian, you listen to, like, certain, like, radio theater stuff, like Adventures in Odyssey or, mm-hmm. like, 
or like other just like even just bible stories like all of the imagery or like the storyline for the fact was the fact that ruth was old right i don't know but i think they mean old for that time Mm mm-hmm modern interpretations like oh yeah she's fucking 70 (laughs) yeah the modern interpretation would make us think she's much older but you also have to consider that like bearing children at the age of 40 during that time was almost impossible yeah which is part of the reason why we think you know that naomi was probably like 70 Mm -hmm. because in our minds that would be you know impossible or close to impossible anyway but in reality ruth was like 20s mid 20s and naomi really wasn't that far behind her honestly like she wasn't that much older than her yeah i mean that makes sense from what i've learned about like when people used to get married in those times yeah so i guess I was I was intrigued to learn that that their their age differences were much different than than what I thought as a child yeah. when I learned about them. What I learned about Ruth and Naomi, what my takeaway always was when I was growing up is that their love for each other was like a familial mother-daughter love, but that it was a good representation of the love of God because Ruth was so like loyal to Naomi and so there was a lot of I don't know I guess people use that as a way to like show that this is how you should love people you should be so devoted to them that you would do anything for them kind of thing that was always my takeaway I guess when I was growing up yeah I know like I think like one church kind of touched upon the fact that the vows that Ruth makes to Naomi when Naomi wants to go back to her original place of living that the vows that Ruth makes to Naomi are very much like wedding vows. Yes. But they were they never touched upon the fact that it was like, oh, it's like a wedding vow between two women. They were like, it's like that in the platonic love between these two people is the same type of sacrificial love that people should have for their spouses. Right. You know, like if two platonic women can do it, then you married people can do it just fine. You know, that type of thing, so. And I think that for some, like, scholars, that's uh, that's a lot of the reason why the conversations even started Mm -hmm. around if they were lovers because of the way that they spoke to one another. And... I have my Bible and I'm going to read some of it because I was reading it and I was like, this shit is so gay. This is like (laughs) gay, 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 gay. Okay. So first of all, Ruth and Naomi and Oprah are traveling together Mm -hmm. and they are Naomi, Oprah and Ruth are the daughter and daughter-in-law of Naomi. So... Mm -hmm. They're traveling together and they're going to find husbands, right? That's why they're traveling. Ruth and Naomi's husbands died. Oprah has not been wed yet. They are going to find husbands together. And then Naomi is like, I'm too old. I don't need a husband. Even though now we know she's like fucking 40 years old. My mom got married when she was like 47. Anyway. My mom had a child at 47. Yeah. (laughs) 
She's like, uh, go back home. I'm old. I like, I don't need to find a husband. You guys should just go back home. Carry on with your lives. Forget about me. And this is what Ruth says. First of all, Oprah's like, okay, bye. <laughs> like, I'm gonna find me a husband. But Ruth says, I'm gonna read it word for word. Oh, by the way, this is the English Standard Version Bible. Okay. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that, she was determined to go with her. She said no more. Hold on. <laughs> to death do us part is literally what straight people say to their husbands and wives every single fucking time they get married. Yeah. But when two women say it to each other, it's just because they are relatives and love each other? No. Not them. I don't also, think so. Sorry. I don't know if this line is in your Bible or if a variation is in it, but in the the King James Version, they talk about how Ruth and Naomi clave or cleaved. I don't, cleaved. I don't know. Cleaved to one another. Yes. And that's the exact same word that is used to talk about when a man and a woman come together as mm-hmm. married people yep. not necessarily sexually but like when they're seen as how one they're in so- unison yes they're one yes. they're one soul together like, scholars put the, that shit in there they knew that it wouldn't pass if they like said it outright like they were literally mm-hmm. partners mm-hmm. and it, maybe it was before but then of course the bible has gotten whitewashed because white people have you know put it into English and old English, you know, so. Right. And I, I actually, cause I have King James version Bible and then I have an ESV and I have like some other ones, but I mostly read my ESV, but every once in a while I have to go back and read the King James version because I want to know, like, even though obviously that's not like, that's also a translated version. I want to know what the first like English Bible said after all these other translations started happening and in the ESV version it does not say cleave it says clung to and I was like hmm Mm. interesting that we Mm. would conveniently change up the wording (laughs) same thing with a lot of texts that talk about homosexuality the word homosexuality is never actually in the Bible but in the ESV version it is but in the original mm-hmm. contexts, King James Version, it's not. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in the Hebrew Bible either. Sure but they thing. have changed certain words. And over time, scholars have said, you can't just change those words because now you're changing the meaning of what Correct. was said in that sentence or that or that book or that paragraph or whatever. So I, it's interesting that you brought that up because I noticed that, that it usually would say they cleave to one another and it said Ruth clung to Naomi and I was like hmm convenient convenient so I also think that you know there's like a historical context here that is important to look at because there is I don't know how like for those of you who know the book of Ruth is like two pages long it's like so teeny tiny there's only four chapters you could read it yourself because it's so small. But there's so much historical context in just this tiny, tiny book of the Bible. I was reading some other excerpts from scholars in regarding to 
you know, theories that Ruth and Naomi were lovers. And they said, you know, they thought it was really intentional that the book of Ruth was just kind of like thrown in there because mm-hmm. there isn't a whole lot of in the Bible. There's like some sequence of events, like the way the books are written in the way that they're put in order are because they happened chronologically. That's not the case with all of them, but for a, yeah. a good majority of the Bible, the book of Ruth is according to scholars, very random. It is mm. almost as like they intentionally placed it. So that way somebody was like, pay attention to this because during the time that this was written, it doesn't necessarily flow with the other books of the Bible that are before and after it in a historical context. So I thought well, that was really interesting too. Well, I mean, Ruth becomes the mother of Obed and then Obed becomes the mother of David. Yes. So, but I guess you're right. Cause like the next book, what's the next book after Samuel, I can do Samuel first Samuel. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, it's like a little, like, like, oh, this is where David came from. Yeah. Yes. And so it makes sense because it is where David came from. But at the same time, and, you know, I'm not a scholar, so I don't... Some of these things are hard for me to delve into. But it was interesting to see how they... Their interpretations of how the Book of Ruth was kind of like... The way it was placed. Not not that it happened. Like, we, it, we needed to know that it happened... Because it's how David came to be, but more so like the way it's placed in the Bible and and what kind of representations they think that that has. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. really, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also interesting too to kind of go back to that whole like the whole declaration thing is the fact that like there were no wedding ceremonies back in that day. Like there was like how we have now. So this whole declaration of Ruth and Naomi is is basically like their own little wedding ceremony as well. Everything that they say is the type of the type of vows that traditional like Hebrew man and woman would say to one another in front of the elders of the town. Kind of like how Ruth and Boaz get married in the end. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's very interesting that it that is. would just be left in there for some for a book that's supposedly super anti-gay. <laughs> supposedly. And- It's so funny because even considering the historical context of, you know, how cultures were different, like the way that I speak to my mom now is not the way people people spoke to their mothers then. Even taking Mm -hmm. that into consideration, Ruth and Naomi's loyalty to one another was beyond anything anyone had ever seen in this time, which is why it made it into the Bible. Because you didn't see demonstrations of loyalty like this. For example, Ruth literally bared a child for Naomi. She was like, yeah, I remember reading about that. Okay, so her and Boaz conceive this baby. Mm -hmm. And she gives birth and then... She literally gives the baby to Naomi, like, hands the baby to her. And in the Bible, I'm going to quote it because I was like, this is wild to me. So it says, she hands the baby to Naomi. Naomi takes the child, lays him on her lap, and begins to nurse. So she immediately starts nursing this baby that physically was not, you know, she didn't give birth to. 
And then the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So even though Ruth carried this baby and gave birth to the baby, they took the baby from Ruth and handed it to Naomi. And then Naomi starts nursing it and then like cares for it throughout its life alongside Ruth and Boaz. That just sounds like a thruple to me. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, do either couples not do that all the time? Yeah. Either that or I think that... I think it's also the, the interesting that, that Boaz, like, wanted to almost, like, protect Ruth. Yeah. Because he knew that... So Naomi was well-recognized within Bethlehem, I believe. They did. Um, yes, yep. And so she... They knew that, like, because Naomi's husband had land and had status in Bethlehem. So like Naomi was going to be fine. Ruth was a Moabitess. So she was not, she was not Israeli. She was not Jewish. She was literally going to be destitute. And Naomi couldn't necessarily take care of her on her own. So Boaz stepped in as almost like, just like, yo, I see you guys are like lesbians. Like, Mm -hmm. let me be your beard type thing. Yep. And it's also interesting, like you said, like they gave the boy and they said a boy has been born. Born of Naomi. Of Naomi, which is funny because usually when they say that, they would say a man's name. Correct. So That's it what would, I was going to say instead too. Of, yeah. Instead of saying, oh, a son was born to Boaz, it was born to Naomi instead. So it's just... It's just it's, very interesting. It's so interesting because for that time, it's it's an acknowledgement of the father and the husband. So it's almost like Naomi is being acknowledged as the father of the child, so to speak, and the husband of Ruth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just doesn't get any gayer than that. I'm sorry. Like, I, there is nothing gayer than that. It's very, very, very gay. I I just I haven't seen a good argument as to why that's not gay yet because it just really really is people that argue it's not gay just don't want it to be gay because then they would have to admit that two people two very prominent people in the bible who actually helped the coming of jesus they existed because of two lesbians yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, because, like, here's the thing. I think that people, that the church likes to think that they're doing really super awesome by, like, mentioning the fact that Rahab the prostitute is in the line of Jesus. And they're like, look, even a prostitute can yep. be in the line of Jesus. Well, yeah, but also two lesbians can also be in the line of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They are, you know? So it's it just kind of goes back to the fact that the church has tried to get rid of any sort of interesting female or gay link to any sort of part of biblical history and has just tried to make it all about men. In the beginning, when they started calling God Father, it's just because the dad was the usually the provider. They didn't necessarily say, oh, he, because they knew that God was he. God is without gender. It's just the fact that God was considered was considered somebody who provided for his people, which he does. So they're like, oh, well, then he must be a he. He must be a man. man. Yeah. Well, I think it's also funny the fact that you said that it's kind of funny that we kind of like Ruth is just thrown in there. And then the one that comes after it is for Samuel. For Samuel also talks about 
David and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Which also. was also gay as fuck. <laughs> we could really get into that one as well, but that one's a little bit more, a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were gay as hell too, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, you know, like I said, the Book of Ruth is like pretty short, so it's pretty straightforward and pretty short and concise. It's, mm-hmm. there's like, which is you hauling as fuck if you ask me. They were like, we're just going to, like, go all in. We're going to, like, move to Bethlehem. I'm going to get a fake husband. I'm going to make sure that you have babies. I'm going to provide for you. We're going to be lesbian lovers. Um, and we're going to do it all in four chapters. Because <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> the I mean, ultimate lesbian that... love story. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, like, it's the ultimate lesbian love story. It happened over the course of, like, five seconds. a year. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, love would do anything for each other. Met five minutes ago. Yes. Oh boy. So yeah, and you know, I was while I was doing all this research, I was reading about all these contextual things for the time. Like, so for example, when young Egyptians were, I guess I should say, Egyptian royalty, what they would do is. They would choose a, I forget the word that they use. I'm going to have to look up the word again. They would choose a young boy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they would say, this young boy is going to be my predecessor. He's going to be my protege. And it would be like a young, poor Egyptian boy. And they would essentially like have sex with them, which is assault. And they were children. So it was an assault and they were pedophiles. But for the time, this was considered normal. So they would have sex with these young boys, and they would say that it was their way of preparing them to become men. They were passing down their royalties. I'm paraphrasing a lot of this stuff, but they were passing down their royalties, their gifts, and all of those things to these young boys, while also, like, having wives who had to just, like, sit by Mm -hmm. and be okay with it. And so a lot of scholars believe that the reason why homosexuality was so hugely frowned upon in a lot of the contexts of the Bible is because of those like Egyptian rulers who we know, because anybody who watched any like Christian TV show as a child knows that the Egyptian rulers were just like not super great people sometimes, they would use these children. And so at some point or another, that was framed as like homosexuality. I'm doing air quotes. And that was kind of like the face of what homosexuality was. And since it was frowned upon to abuse children, which it should be, they wrote it off as same-sex relationships were bad. Yeah. I've heard the same about like the Romans and things like that because they were also very sexually, quote-unquote, sexually promiscuous nation and young boys had sex with older men quite often, consensually and non-consensually, just because they're, the non-consensually obviously is bad, but the consensual part was just because they were just a very open and free nation, and even going forward, you know, everybody makes fun of, like, the David statue, just like, oh my god, he's like, no, it's not, it's because he was a literal child, yeah, and, you know, the sculptor just made him bulky, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and just added that, too. So it's just, like, homosexuality has been viewed as bad because 
the only idea that they ever had of homosexuality was abuse. Yeah. Which is really sad. And, you know, because, like, you can see homosexuality all the way back within, like, history in general. Homosexuality was not, was not such a hot button thing. It was until established religion came along and people decided to use religion to control people. Yep. And that's a really good point because, you know, there's all these great representations like Ruth and Naomi of love that was centered in God and centered in loyalty and centered in friendship and like all of these really like amazing values, but they chose to write them off as platonic love. Yeah. Because then they would have to admit that quote unquote homosexual relationships or same sex relationships could be loving and could be like of God. And that would just, you know, destroy so many things that they worked so hard to make people believe. So they can't let anyone believe that Ruth and Naomi were lovers because then that means that queer people not only existed, but were quite favored actually by the community and by God and that they really truly loved each other. So that, as you already stated, that was a way that they, they had to rework that story and like come up with all the reasons why they're not queer because then how do you maintain control? You can't. Yeah. Especially with like women who are gay as well. So this became mother-daughter type situation which sucks because it's like they weren't that that much different in age no and they're, they, they really weren't like in by today's standards there are people they were like way bigger age gaps that are married today oh god yeah so naomi just would have been like a hot dyke daddy <laughs> she was like look I really don't feel comfortable having a baby, but, like, this is just me. It's just me. I am Naomi, okay? (laughs) I'm Naomi at 40 years old. I'm like, listen, young hot babe, it doesn't really fit my gender identity to poop out a kid. So, will you, please? I'll take care of you forever. Plentiful land. I have gardens in the back. If you want a man... Of course she has gardens in the back. (laughs) Just kidding. It can't happen. (laughs) I don't like boys. But, but, would love for you to carry my babe, you know? I can, I get it. I get, I just, I see it. I see it happening. Mm -hmm. Jokingly, but also seriously. So I'm just going to throw out some resources for folks. I know we've talked about this before, but for anybody who is interested, I'm just thinking of like some random things right now. Number one is... The Gay Christian Network, which is actually, I'm sorry, it's actually Q Christian Network now. I keep making that mistake. It used to be the Gay Christian Network. Now it's Q or slash queer Christian Network. It is a huge online community of queer people who identify in some way, shape, or form with Christianity. Even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you have some kind of like spiritual relationship with God, you should tap into that group. You can be as active or as non-active as you want, but they hold like really cool conferences every year. They have a lot of really good online resources. I really, I learned about them quite some years ago and I've appreciated a lot of the things that they have posted. I'm trying to look up, is this it? Let me see. 
Uh, it's God and the Gay Christian. Mm. God and the Gay Christian is a book. It was written by Matthew Vines. He is actually a pastor. He wrote this book about all of his scholarly findings based biblically on what he believes his understanding of the Bible is and why he believes homosexuality is not a sin and all the different historical contexts of how queer relationships show up throughout the Bible. I have, I started reading it on audiobook like a lot of years ago and I haven't read it since. So I need a little bit of a refresher. I should reread it, but really good if that's something you're interested in. Even if you're not like a super religious person, I read it as somebody who was really battling with Christianity at the time. A lot of the things that I learned, I just learned because I wanted to be able to argue with people. (laughs) Truthfully, (laughs) like I wanted to be like, "Eh, actually, you're wrong. (laughs) This is what it says. And this is what it means. I wanted to be able to do that. And so even if you're interested in just like being able to duke it out with somebody, I think that this is another really good resource. Cool beans. Oh, and Rescuing Jesus. Great book. It is by, I don't know, I don't know how to say their last name. I'm afraid I'm going to fuck it up, but it's Deborah Jain, Jean maybe? It's J-I-A-N. Jain? Deborah Jain Lee? I don't know how to say it. I'm probably butchering it. I sincerely apologize. I should have looked up how to pronounce it before I said it on recording. <laughs> but I just thought of it because <laughs> okay. I looked over and it's sitting on my desk. But it's called Rescuing Jesus. It is how people of color, women, and queer Christians are reclaiming evangelicalism. It is top-notch, friends. Top-notch. You need to read it. It's a phenomenal book. I'm about halfway through it right now. Yeah, I need to start that. You should start it, and then we should discuss it together, and maybe we could do a podcast after we discuss it. Ooh. I like that We could do, like, idea. a couple chapters at a time or something. Dope. I love that. Up to Amazon Prime it. Yeah, um, I bought it at a bookstore in Chicago, but you can find it online. Oh, I've yeah, I wonder because I know like bookstores right now are are struggling AF. Yeah, right now, so I should look up. Because yeah, that what is? Do you remember what that bookstore is called? In Chicago? It is called Women and Children First. Yeah, I think. yeah. I was like, I've been in there before, but I can't remember what it's called. It's like something like women. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Women and Children First Bookstore. Yeah. If you live in Chicago or have the ability to order books from them, you should. Because it's it's such a beautiful space, even just, like, aesthetically. Yeah. They have so many informational books. They have just fun books. They have comics. They have children's books. It's it's honestly such a wonderful space. The people who work at the at the bookstore are incredibly nice and incredibly informative as well. So I'm gonna see if I can order my book from there instead of Amazon. Because fuck Jeff Bezos. For fucking real, dude. I'm looking to see if okay. So it looks like okay. Yeah. So the public bookstore is currently closed, but you can still make purchases through their webs website. If you live in Chicago, you can also do curbside pickup. <gasps> Delightful. I love so that. you can buy things on their website. So they're like an amazing, amazing organization. When I went there with my partner and my friend, we, the bookstore was like full of queer people. It was just like, fills my heart with joy to see that 
not only that queer people are like being represented and given jobs that they love and being paid for it but also that they're like being put in charge i saw a lot of displays that were about queer people of color and queer people in general and there was just like it was just really nice to see there was a lot of different they focus on like feminism and racial equity and a lot of those things it was just yeah if you can give your money to them you should do that and it was opened in 1979 and it was owned by two women who met as graduate students at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Love that. Yeah. And they, well, they sold, well, those people sold their bookstore, but two women still own it, Lynn Mooney and Sarah Hollenbeck. They changed the ownership, but kept the store in the family because the Lynn and Sarah were both. Um, staff members of that that store which i love keep it in the family keep it women owned so if or at least afab owned i'm not sure how they identify if you're uh looking to read or books or comics or novels or cookbooks or anything of that sort check out women and children first in chicago on their website hell yeah women and children first dot com (gasps) they have a Ruth and Naomi paperback that is only $3.29. It is a children's Shut book. <gasps> they have two. Will you send they me a have, link? Oh my god, they have, they have so many. Oh my god. I don't will know if they're me, gay. Will you send me the uh, link that you're, or the, the thing you're looking at right now? Yeah, I literally just, okay, so for anybody who else wants to purchase books for them, I'm not sure if it's just like the traditional story, but it's at a gay and it's had a gay, lesbian, you know, LGBTQ bookstore. So I just went on their website, womenandchildrenfirst.com, and then I just typed in Ruth and Naomi, and, like, three different picture books popped up. That's and then amazing. it looks like it looks like there is also a devotional. Yeah, Ruth and Naomi find joy after tragedy. That's probably just, like, a regular. Yeah, there's a couple ones that are just like biblical stuff they do have really awesome religious literature there as well so yeah oh my god they have six different pages of books that are just on Ruth and Naomi yeah I just I just typed it in to look at it and I'm really excited to read these cool well everybody go read about Ruth and Naomi now you know where you can buy some books hell yeah and just know that there's some gay people in the bible even if they aren't specifically out there Mm-hmm. I think we should talk about Jonathan David either next or sometime coming up in the future. We should absolutely. I, I feel like as I was doing my research about Ruth and Naomi, Jonathan and David came up a lot as yeah. some more comparisons of queer relationships. All right. So you can follow us on Instagram at Two Queers Podcast. It's T W O Queers Q U E E R podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t hopefully i spelled that right i'm really bad at spelling (laughs) things out loud when i'm not looking at them and then you can follow me on instagram as well my instagram handle and my twitter handle are hi underscore i'm dom the hi has two eyes in it cool and you can find me at emily craig art craig spelled k-r-i-e-g on both twitter and instagram and you can find us on twitter at two queers podcast but the two is the number two and we'll link all of the things that we referenced in the show notes and on both of those 
for you guys. Yes. And we do actually have a Facebook page, too. I forget that we have a Facebook page. I do, too. Um, <laughs> I made it. What's Facebook? Facebook is just the place where I go and I get sad about all the news. Truth, truth, truth. I did make us a Facebook page, so if you want to follow us on Facebook, please do so. The only reason, truthfully, I made a Facebook page is so that way I could promote our podcast um, in different Facebook groups. That's really the reason why I made it. I have not been doing a good job of posting on it, so. It's Um, okay. I think either I did link the Instagram to it or I'm going to today. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, it looks like you did, actually. I see, uh, yep, I see some posts that you made. And I posted a couple things. We do post on here, just not super regularly. But you can follow us. And then maybe we will post regularly. (laughs) Influence Um, us. Make us do our job. Yes. Also, we have been talking about making a Patreon for at least probably a month. Yeah, sorry. So we will get to that. We're working on it. (laughs) We will get to that. Coronavirus has, I thought would make things, some things easier, but turns out it made some things a little bit harder. Yeah. Well, we will prioritize that and let you folks know soon. Yes. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Once again, Black Lives Matter and queer people are in the Bible. Don't erase Ooh. us. Love you. Bye. Bye. I just can't stop coughing today, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want jokes, the coronavirus jokes, by any means. <laughs> um, but it's just allergies. <laughs> no, just it's not okay. Everybody, um, if you live in Michigan, you just have allergies right now, unfortunately. I do, and I, we were talking about that the other day because I, like, sneezed in public and I was wearing a mask. I was, like, at the grocery store. Um, and I was like, I feel bad that I sneezed in public, but, like, I just have allergies. Like, I, I really, truly, I have to take an allergy pill every single day. Or Ugh. I can't, like, breathe. Um, Sad. so anyway. <laughs> <laughs>